Well, this is the Drew Spirience episode two. No interviews today. The way I believe I will be forming this podcast is two interviews a month. And then I'll do one episode where I give my two cents reflection on the current state of MMA based on divisions and what pay-per-views or fight nights stood out to me with the fighters. For today, I'm gonna, I will definitely be doing one on the past UFC 255. For a November card, when we look at it on paper, it was seen as one of the weaker cards of 2020. Normally, November, we would expect Madison Square Garden, a loaded pay-per-view like last year with UFC 244 and before that UFC 217 and 205 four years ago, which I believe is one of which was one of the most important UFC events in the history of the sport since the sport finally got legalized in New York, which was which can be argued as one of the mecca of combat sports when you think of Ali Frazier, amongst other great fights there. However, due to COVID, that didn't happen this year, so the UFC had to improvise, taking all their fights either to Fight Island in uh, the Middle East at some, during some parts of the year, and then the UFC Apex in Vegas, which is still great when you think of it, and considering the fact, despite all the restrictions, all the BS going on with the COVID, Dana White has managed to bring some form of normalcy back for the fights. Saturday's card had two title fights, which were in the flyweight division, both for men and female, which was pretty interesting to see. Uh, starting with the co-main, you had Valentina Bullet Shevchenko versus top three contender Jennifer Jennifer Maya, and then we had in the main event champion uh, Davison God of War Figueredo versus Alex Perez, who recently was one of the contenders from Dana White's Contender Series getting the call after Cody Nolove Garbrandt was pulled off the card due to experiencing COVID, then other injuries. So it is unfortunate because a star like Cody and a guy like Davison who's coming up, who they're trying to build around, didn't happen. However, this fight proved to be more entertaining in more ways than one. And I'll get to that. But first, I do want to get to the co-main event, which is where we started. But actually, you know what? Before that, let's look at the card overall. They had some pretty good fights. You had Valentina's sister, Antonina Lapantera Shevchenko versus Ariane, Queen of Violence Lipsky. Two pretty skilled flyweight women's flyweights for their striking. But what I liked about this fight was we saw Antonina use more grappling which is not known considering she has a very deep Muay Thai background, K1. She does have judo in her arsenal as a take for grappling, but we never really saw her use it until this fight. I believe this was really something of a transformation we saw because if we look at Antonina's last fights, she tries to be a counter striker or go for the knockout. And when she goes to the ground, we have seen some spots where she struggles, which is very normal being a high-level striker. However, she showed against a formidable opponent such as Lipsky, who's won the KSW women's flyweight. It's no easy, it's no easy feat you know, to go up against a, a hot prospect in Lipsky. Who, it's surprising she's still considered a prospect 
However, her talent is limitless, where I believe she will also be a top 10 based on the way the flyweight division is and how open it is for the women's side of 125. Antonina just mounted her and took her down and just gave vicious ground and pound to end the fight. And, you know, Lipsky took a serious beating. That's just the way the fight game goes. And I just believe that Antonina is just a bit ahead when it comes to the uh, these opponents because she does have Valentina as her sister to help her prepare. But what was also impressive was how, as mentioned, I'll go back to it again, she was using more grappling. And this is something we never expected. So perhaps maybe Antonina, the way I look at it moving forward, I, I always said it, Antonina is 36 years old. I don't want to say that the championship is out of reach because flyweight is so open and you never know. If she goes on a win streak and gains momentum, anything's possible. I just personally feel that Antonina is always going to be, in my opinion, her ceiling is a top seven to the 15 ranked. And if she does get a title shot ever, that's probably because she went on a massive, she would go on a massive win streak with just dominating, dominating. And Valentina would move up to bantamweight to fight her uh, arch rival, Amanda Nunes, who she's already had two fights with and can be argued the second fight, Valentina took away based on points, but lost to a split decision. Other fights that were really interesting on the card were uh, was a uh, was a uh, Buckley. I I can't I can never say his first name. Yoquan Numansa Buckley versus up and comer Jordan Wright. And uh, for those who, everyone knows who Buckley is, he had that amazing spinning counter back kick that went viral. It was in a moment, and he had a lot of pressure on him. He had a lot of pressure to shoot to prove that he was not a one-hit, one-click wonder on the internet. And Jordan Wright is a pretty formidable prospect coming out of Jackson Winks, having Greg Jackson, having Mike Winklejohn, amongst others to look to, such as in Carlos Condit, Holly Holm, John Jones. Even though John's kind of on a personal hiatus as he gets ready for his transition to heavyweight. Buckley proved he can fight and you know he's entertaining vicious knockout power and the way he's building up his credibility as a 185er is really impressive he has a long way to go because 185 is one of the deeper divisions with a lot of talent that are still trying to crack the top 15 however I believe over time if Buckley can continue showing why he has, why he's a star in the making by not just knocking out, but also using wrestling, that would be great. I think the next fight for him would have to be the grudge match against James Krause, which he even refused to say his name in the interviews. So I believe this would be a great fight night fight on a co-main or maybe on the main card of a fight night. Or who knows, maybe they'll add it into a pay-per-view. But I do believe Buckley is a blue chip prospect to watch out for it. Only if he can continue to rack up three more wins, maybe. Okay, three is pushing it, but if he can rack up another two more wins in 2021, I believe he can be a serious prospect for the top 15 in the 185 division. I say this realistically because everyone wants to shoot up, but when it takes to get what it takes to get there is a lot more hard work and sacrifice. And when you look at 185, yes, it is somewhat open right now. Yes, there's guys that should not even be in the top 9 to 11. However, 
They're there because uh, for a reason, based on their stats. And I believe Buckley has an opportunity, providing he keeps focused. He does not let the hype get to him. And he doesn't uh, think that he's some someone he's not considering. Yes, he's a striker, but some of these guys are good, great. Some of these fighters are amazing grapplers, and they have an answer for guys who just primarily like to strike. The other card, which was kind of the other fight on the card, was one of we could say a goodbye tour for a legend. The way it ended, uh, Mauricio Shogun, who a uh, Pride Grand Prix winner, you know, one of the last old lions of the pride era with Alistair Overeem still fighting took on a rematch with Paul Bearjew Craig in the last fight that ended in a draw and this time around Paul Craig just came out guns blazing had a great plan and Mauricio well Shogun submitted to tapped out due to the strikes and it wasn't pretty to watch considering when you think of Shogun you look at the, the soccer kicks the aggressiveness he had in pride and yeah, we didn't get the Pride Shogun after the UFC Pride purchase and merger. However, Shogun did win the light heavyweight championship, and that's not something to uh, overlook. He didn't defend it, but if you look at the, the accolades, Shogun is the definition of what an aggressive mixed martial artist is who really likes to brawl like a bulldog. Look at the fights between Machida, where he arguably won. <laughs> they should not. They should not have had a rematch, because Shogun did win the first match, even though Machida won it on points and looked more damaged. However, well, but you know, Shogun did win, and then as history goes, he lost to arguably the greatest of all time in John Jones, Johnny Bones Jones, at twenty three years old when John came up as a twenty three year old prospect. And we all know what happened after. Shogun was kind of up and down. He could have had, he had one of the arguably the greatest fights with Dan Henderson at UFC 139 back in November 2011 and had another shot to get to the title. But Alex Gustafson derailed that. And then Gus went on to fight Jones in arguably one of probably the greatest fight in light heavyweight history for a title where John really had to dig into his inner his inner champion to really dig out that win after looking kind of human in a very rare night which he even admits now he did not properly prepare for he just half-assed to the training camp as mentioned we go back to shogun dana white said ufc president dana white said it best he wants to see shogun retire as with anderson the spider silva and i agree with him i really believe shogun has done everything he can it's just a roster spot he's holding that another young up-and-comer could take. And as much as we appreciate these legends, your window in fighting is only about three to five years if you're lucky, give or take. Some people only have one or two years because they realize this is not for them. You have to be really dialed in. You have to be so dialed in to get to that level as Shogun has. And Paul Craig, you know, credit to him. Guy that was kind of unranked, hovering around, you know, the top, like the top ten ranked ten to fifteen. You know, now he's and now he's a number fifteen. This should definitely help. The one counter argument is we could say about Shogun is he was about he was set five and seven in his last fight, so he was actually standing ground with a lot of these up and comers to show. So the argument can be made. Maybe he shouldn't retire. Give him his last two fights and then retire, but. 
with the Shogun we saw on Saturday on November 21st, 2020, I believe it is time for Shogun to hang them up and look elsewhere. He's done everything he can. Go on YouTube. Go on Fight Pass. Just look up Shogun, Hua, and Pride. All the fights, such as with Alistair, Rampage. He's a legend. And if new fans do not know who he is because they're only seeing these guys as they're on their way out in the sport... Just do yourself a favor, subscribe to Fight Pass, pay the $9.99, educate yourself, understand why hardcore fans like my, like my best friend Adam, my, one, of my, one of my good friends Adam, stand corrected, I don't like using the term best friend, but came out there, but Adam, you're still a great friend and uh, he knows his stuff and you know, my, my other friend Michael, my coach Mo, past guest Vince Me, past guest Vince Me showed who I talk with periodically about combat sports. They're going to tell you how important these guys were to help get the sport where it is. Because when you think of MMA, it was pretty underground. Like after in the 90s, even after Zufa bought the sport from a fledging SEG, they had to really rebrand and rebuild, being in the hole money wise, millions and millions until Tough came out. And then the Pride merger happened, which helped bring in these legends. And yes, the Pride merger, as I famously said, did not go as originally planned, but it got champions out of it. You got a champion out of Shogun, you got a champion out of Rampage, you got a champion out of. Well, not champion, but you got some great guys out of there, such as Mark Hunt, who's arguably had some of the greatest fights ever in UFC, despite being, you know, the UFC wanted to pay him out to cut him because he was a 500 or below fighter. And just, it, and Overeem too. I mean, Overeem who's having one last run at heavyweight before he calls it a career. It's just really amazing to see how long these guys have lasted in the promotion. And when it's all said and done, where are they going to rank in history? And based on what we see, Shogun is looking right now with the losses continue. They're going to just say, oh, he was just another fighter from a bygone era. But if he retires now with dignity and same with Overeem, this will help preserve the legacy Pride FC had as seeing it as a legitimate counterpart to UFC during the Wild West days of mixed martial arts. And that's what I think makes this potentially last fight kind of sad but also kind of happy because it's time for a new era when shogun fought his last opponent little nog uh he, little nog said he's like it's time for me to retire as the new guard is coming up the the younger the younger generation is ready to take the torch from brazil to worldwide and i could not agree with that more the Pride guys have had their run, and now it's time to turn the torch over to the next generation, which we see in the present. It's Conor McGregor, John Jones, Israel Adesanya, and Kamaru Usman. It's just really time to really move on from that era and really build on what's going on currently right now with the way the sport is headed. Then we move, and now so that was the Shogun Craig fight. The other fight that was that I was pretty intrigued to see had to have been the Mike Platinum Perry versus Tim Dirty Bird means. Mike Perry showed up overweight and submitted and had to give up thirty percent of his fight purse to Means. Tim Means is an interesting uh, character. You know he faced suspension because of uh, potential because of potential 
doping violation with a, with a, a protein powder, a protein mix, or, or supplement. And it turned out that he was innocent because USADA had to really go to all the GNCs that he got it at originally. It's crazy how some some supplements you can buy at these GNCs turn out to be tainted. And, you know, he was unfairly suspended, which he lost a good portion of his window to move up in the welterweight rankings as a legitimate top 10, maybe top 5. He's just a brawler. He's basically another Robbie Lawler with uh, more grit. And taking on Mike Perry was seen was to be seen as a nice brawl. Originally, Lawler was actually supposed to fight on the card, but he pulled out for personal reasons. And as mentioned, Robbie with Shogun, Robbie Lawler, who's a former welterweight champion, a former elite XC champion, is also on the way out to being 37, 38 on like a four fight losing streak. These guys are just holding roster spots that could be gained by up and comer prospects who are hungry, who want to compete for the belt and it's really sad when you see legends like these go out on on a bad foot, especially Robbie, who was the reason why I got into mixed martial arts with Conor McGregor and then John Jones, actually. It wasn't GSP. I only became a fan of GSP, really, when I took up Kyokushin Karate. And the positive was Means and Perry turned into be a great brawl, a great brawl towards the end. But where does Mike Perry go from here? You know, the argument is, should the UFC cut Mike Perry? Didn't show up on weight, doesn't take it seriously. It looks, yeah, he's kind of six and six or five and six and wins one, loses one, wins one, loses one. I believe there's a future for Mike Perry in the promotion. However, he needs someone, the UFC needs to get him counsel for his mental state because he has had, as you've seen, off out of the cage, some issues like with, uh, with, his behavior and actions you know he doesn't have a proper coaching corner he has his fiance which don't get me wrong it might work once or twice in a fight but you want to have proper coaching and I do believe Mike Perry has potential to be I I call Mike Perry a Chuck Liddell of the welterweight with great coat if he has great coaching and discipline but the outcome we saw on Saturday was really it was really the opposite and it has a lot of people, like even his fans are kind of facepalming themselves with uh, his uh, recent decisions and actions. So I'm hoping after this loss, Mike Perry takes time to reflect. The UFC does not offer him any fights. He gets the mental counseling he needs. They also, he also finds a great camp that will work with him based on his skills and help him develop new habits for fighting and training. And that's all I want, you know. You never want to wish bad on a fighter, and especially a guy like Mike Perry. When I when I remember what I remember about Mike Perry, the first fight I watched him in was on a fight night card back in September 2017. It was the Rockhold Branch card on September 14th, 2017, which had uh, Luke Rockhold coming back after a hiatus, losing the belt to uh, Michael Bisping. He was fighting David Branch to get back in to the get back into the ring. One, then you also had on that card Uriah Hall versus Christoph Jocko, which was arguably one of the more entertaining fights of Uriah Hall, where he looked down and then took out Jocko, who was an up-and-coming prospect too for the middleweight. As mentioned, the middleweight division is deep with some guys that deserve to be in the top 15, but because there's some gatekeepers and other fighters holding their roster ranking and spot, 
It's not going to happen so fast. And then you had Mike Perry, who was supposed to take on Tiago Pitbull Alves, but Alves had to pull out due to the due to the hurricane that hit in uh, Florida. So he took on a, an unknown newcomer and just knocked him out. And then he called out Robbie Lawler, where he famously said, "Everybody knows the fight that they want. They want to see me beat up a guy like Robbie Lawler." Because that's gonna that will be extreme violence. Now I know I'm butchering the quote here. I'm paraphrasing, but I was so stoked finally when they gave me that wish, which was on my uh, uh, which was gonna be the week after my birthday, and I was and I was so excited saying yes, I finally got Lawler and Perry booked. This is amazing just for a fan's purpose. It's rock'em sock'em mixed martial arts at its finest. And then Lawler pulls out. And then Perry misses weight and loses and only, and only looked great towards the end when he started stri- fighting out of desperation to look like to make it look that he is worth keeping on the roster. So yeah, and that's how I look at UFC 255. There was a lot of great prospects on the card. Some fights could have gone a bit better, but at the end of the day, we're not the fighters. We're not uh, we're only we're only analyzing it from a couch. And we have to give all the respect to them for what they're doing, especially during these times, trying to find any way possible to get fights in, to get their paycheck, and then make sure that they uh, that they have money, you know, go coming um, coming in for the year and next year with what's going on with COVID. All right, and we move on now to the co-main event, which is uh, which is where we'll start. Ba- Valentina Bulichevchenko versus top three Jennifer Maya. Women's flyweight is in a very interesting division. It's very open. Some could say it's very weak. I'm not going to lie. There are some women that do not even deserve to be in the rankings because flyweight is basically a mix of strawweights who could not make the weight cut for 115 or bantamweight who just could not do bantamweight anymore. So they come down. So Valentina Shevchenko, this division is tailored for her. The contenders, though, have, been, have not been able to solve her. And... When Valentina came in, she was supposed to fight originally Nico Montano, but Nico had the infamous weight cut. You know, she didn't make weight, then they stripped her. The UFC had a lot of problems with her being a tough champion from a TV show. And rightly so, they just stripped her. And Valentina won it convincingly against Joanna Janjacek at UFC 231 for the vacant flyweight title. And Valentina's just been on a roll ever since. It wasn't one of Valentina's best fights. It was what we would call a workman performance because when you think of Valentina, you want to think of her as a counter-striker who brings it every fight. And she didn't do that. She uh, she put the work in, and there was a time in round two when she looked human, but she came through, and what was really interesting was she fought she fought fire with water. She was showing everyone that hey, I can wrestle too with my judo take with my judo takedowns and throws, and showed Jennifer Maya a legitimate black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that she's going to be in a night for trouble. And it was all said and done, we knew Valentina was going to win, and Valentina's in a very interesting spot. I think she's suffer. I think not suffering. That's not the right word. I think she is experiencing a mix of. John Jones and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson's I stand corrected. Johnny Bones Jones and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson syndrome, where she's so good for the division, but no one else can catch her. So everyone kind of knows the outcome of the fight she has. 
And it's not a bad thing because Valentina has also made herself very likable. She does all the right things as a champion. She's one of she's definitely my favorite female fighter to watch. I even like to nickname her female GSP. And people say, whoa, 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 why would you do that? Here's my reason. And I'm standing on this till the day I die. Valentina Bulashevchenko shares many similarities with George St. Pierre. Fact, similarity number one, they are both martial artists to the core. They're always training. They're always, they live the mind, they live the Budo lifestyle. Similarity number two, they both come from a traditional martial arts background. George St. Pierre originated from a Kyokushin karate background. And Valentina Shevchenko came from a Taekwondo background where they both ended up with second and third dance. Well, George has a third dan in Kyokushin. Valentina has a second dan in Taekwondo. Then transition that into Muay Thai, where she has become one of the most lethal strikers. And this is something we've seen with uh, Taekwondo practitioners. When they go into Muay Thai, because of the dexterity of their leg speed and leg kicks, they're known to have much more aggressive kicking. And they learn better punching and striking because Taekwondo, the punch base is very low compared to karate where it's there, but it's very stiff like a rock'em sock'em robot. So Valentina has took her Taekwondo, transitioned it into Muay Thai. And then for when it comes to grappling, George St. Pierre became one of the arguably one of the best wrestlers for MMA, got a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Valentina has a black belt in judo. And now what we saw in this fight, she was showing that she can hang with the grapplers at 125 that everyone thinks she's going to have problems with, i.e. Jennifer Maya, Caitlin Chikugian, who she took apart at UFC 246 or 7, yeah, 247 back in February. The next, and yeah, so that's why I think Valentina is, a, is the female GSP and she carries herself like a gracious champion. She's won more fans over time. And I really think the only threat for her is Amanda Nunes, who I think she can beat at 135, which she did the second time around. It was just a judge's decision that went the way of Nunes. When it comes to flyweight, I don't see anybody really giving Valentina a threat. Everyone thinks it's going to be... Jessica Andrade, but Jessica Andrade is the kind of fighter that tailors to Valentina's style. Comes forward, Valentina will counter strike and pick apart slowly. She's going to fight like a John Jones. Like she's got she's got the IQ of John Jones. I don't know when they fought on the same card together, what kind of meeting they had, but whatever John Jones knowledge John Jones gave Valentina, man, Valentina really has that IQ of a John Jones with a GSP which is why I love watching her. And if anyone doesn't like watching high-level striking and IQ, I mean, pick and choose your poison, but I mean, you could, you might say Valentina's boring. I find it super entertaining, and I love the way she fights. And I look forward to her next fight, whoever that may be. She's got such good things lined up for her, and she's going to... once. And as the flyweight division gets better and bigger because it's still building itself up since 2017, it takes time, these things. Divisions to build up take time. It, I believe she'll have some legitimate contenders coming in soon to really f battle for her, for her to defend her crown. So now we move on to the flyweight men's, the main event. Davison, God of War, Figueredo versus Alex Perez. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to be honest. I slept during this fight. I got to be honest because I had to work the next day. 
but I watched the highlights and it was pretty entertaining. Davison is an up and coming champion. I I like what I've seen from the flyweights. Normally, I I don't pay any attention. I pay minimal attention to the flyweights because it's just a weight class that doesn't entertain me. But with the way the flyweight men's is having a renaissance and a resurgence, I like what I see. And I believe Davison Figueredo was the next big star. For a little guy, he really packs the punching power of a welterweight and middleweight. And Perez was standing with him. And then Davison, who has black belt level jiu-jitsu, which is very legit, just submitted him. And what's even more gangster is to save the end of year pay-per-view, Davison's fighting on that card 21 days out. That's a fucking gangster boss move as a champion. And that should win him a lot of fans and respect going forward. I just hope, though, for Davison Figueredo... He picks up English because to be marketable, when I spoke with my last guest, Andre Benke, on my last podcast, Andre said the reason why Brazilian fighters do not market to the masses like Anderson and Vitor is because they didn't pick up English. If they pick up English, I guarantee Davison and a guy like Davison with where he is, how he looks, he can really do a lot of things with the... with his uh, with with his style, with his fighting acumen, there is so much potential for this flyweight division. I really believe the flyweight division will is here to stay, and I think he has made watching the lighter weight class, especially flyweight, more entertaining now to watch. Just look at what he did against Joseph Benavidez two times. The first time he missed weight, so it was he was ineligible for the title. The second time he dominated and he made weight and you know he's made weight for this fight and now he's going to make weight arguably for this fight i'm just excited i'm really excited for this flyweight division so the future looks very bright definitely i am hoping to see more from what happens in the future 2021 looks very bright for mma and as mentioned, I've already had one guest on with Adam. I have another guest that's coming on very soon. I'm not going to say who it is, but it's going to be, as mentioned, two guests a month with maybe one or two shows where I just give my two cents on MMA, basically, and what's going on in the divisions right now and as a sport. I'll also try to focus on Bellator and 1FC, but I'm mainly more into UFC because the only fighter I like watching in Bellator is Gegard, the Dreamcatcher Musasi, arguably my favorite 185er who uh, left the UFC and now is dominating Bellator. Uh, half Iranian like myself, so I got to support an Armenian, so I got to support that and so forth. So to get this podcast, it's going to be on, it's going to be on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Breaker, anywhere else that's audible. And I will make a YouTube video today where what I say is more or less the same, but it's it's gonna some wording might be different because I'm recording this on my phone right now with Anchor, and then I record the video on YouTube. But once again, I really appreciate all the support that this podcast has been getting since I launched it with Adam from Unanimous Decision. So if you can, when, when I put this out, please subscribe, please listen. If you want to message me what you think about the current state of the divisions in MMA, I'd be more than willing to, to share, to hear your opinions and so forth. So once again, keep, everyone stay safe, keep active, even though it sounds cliche. And uh, I look forward to the next the podcast with my next guest and giving and then giving my my own two cents on MMA. Have a great one guys.